Okay, there we go. Chat, does everyone sound fine? I have manually edited like three different volume sliders. I am working off intuition here. Okay, they say it's good. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, pretty good, I think. Um, we're playing Binding of Isaac, which is a video game that is certainly after the last expansion very difficult, and I'm not great at playing games while talking to people, so I'm sure this is going to be a spectacular experience. Um, yeah, can you uh, introduce yourself? I think a lot of people in chat know who you are, but, you know, just in case. Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Booksmarts. I give critique and on, uh, like, debates and stuff. Not so much in, like, a react dandy sort of way that I think people are used to, but in a very prepped and intentional way where I go through the video multiple times on my own off stream, take some notes on what I think are like key issues with the debaters or with some of the messaging that's being put forward or in your case, uh, evaluating like the arguments and something like that video you put out about some community changes and who's not allowed to be talked about anymore. Um, of course. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, that's generally what I do is try to, you know, put like 80% more effort into content that probably doesn't need that extra effort. <laughs> nah, it helps. No, I, I like your content. I tend to check it out. Um, especially when I see you talking about other people's stuff. It feels a little bit less personally involved, so it's a little bit easier to assess the validity of the arguments you're making. Hmm. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you got? What do you got in your mind today, man? What's uh, what's what's been burdening your thoughts? Yeah, um, so I think it's important contextually just to make clear to people that I'm trying to avoid anything related to redacted. And that's taking a lot of conversations that I'm like very, very familiar with off of the table, like things that I have prep notes uh, for in the past or that I like know the quotes offhand for. So today I kind of I kind of want to do something different than what I normally do. Maybe ask you more about stuff that you're really familiar with um, that I'm not to get a better idea of them, like lefterly ideas or some of the decisions that you're making that I cannot infer. Um, because I know one criticism that you have of my critiques is when I'm making logical leaps, like I'm inferring that when you're misremembering things or you're mischaracterizing something in a conversation, that this is to some extent intentional. And so I've said things like, you're lying about something, or there's no way that this can be purely misremembering because of how often it benefits you in the conversation. Um, and it can be frustrating for other people to deal with that. And because the reviews are line by line and I take notes, that's the kind of stuff that I feel the need to highlight because it's only going to become apparent if you're like going back and forth and you have all those quotes available. So unfortunately, that's been a focus of a lot of the coverage I've had of you because it is something that I feel like is only going to be clear if we take notes on stuff. Um, no, I think what so matters most is that we're all having fun with the process, right? I think I saw somebody else say this in chat, and I feel like this is probably the most reasonable extrapolation, or not extrapolation, the most reasonable understanding I could arrive at that makes neither of us bad faith in this context. So the full context here is that um, you would take instances in a debate where I would say something um, uh, that I hadn't said or that I would you would say I'd misremember something or otherwise mischaracterized a point from earlier in the debate and that since it was convenient to my argument, it must have been like a deliberate act. And I think, and somebody else said this, and this I think at least describes my experience, is that sometimes when I'm flustered or frustrated, I say something and I imagine myself having said something a little bit more complete. Um, not necessarily a different argument, more often like um, a more uh, a more um, complete or accurate 
phrasing of the argument that I was intending to speak, sort of the gap between, um, you know, intention and reality there. So later on, I remember the intention more so than I do the, um, more so than I do like the actual thing said, and I act as though the intention was what was acted on perfectly. This happened a little bit with the, um, God. This happened a little bit with the Kink and Pride discourse. I don't know how much of your life was burdened with that horrible, horrible dark period in left uh, Twitter history. But um, there were a couple of points where I made arguments that I think that any sane human being should be able to understand and recognize. Like, um, I think there are elements of uh, pride that should be made like fairly like accessible to children, like uncontroversially accessible to children. Um, and then later people took issue with me saying that, and in my mind I had phrased the initial point like super, super, super understandably, but I hadn't. It was actually a fair, I had phrased <laughs> it in a fairly antagonistic way. So I remembered the, um, I, I remembered the intention more so than the actual phrasing. I don't, did you, did you see any of that discourse, by the way? So luckily I dodged everything but Steven's takes on, on the kink stuff, so I didn't see anything of yours there. Bless it. <laughs> Um, one thing that I, I am sort of aware of that sounds like it might be similar are the fascism discourse. And we don't have to talk about like redacted in particular, but yeah. um, do you have like a TLDW on what happened with the fascism discourse? Which part? It was like a four hour conversation. Um, the um, do you like do you remember like which specific part of it or like which argument? Yeah, I guess the part that I'm um, most interested to hear more about, because I didn't see any of this in Redacted's video, is um, it, they were saying that you were applying this label kind of willy-nilly to quite a few things. And then in the video that Redacted posted, that's you kind of trying to walk back a lot of those claims. But unfortunately, I didn't see a lot of that, like putting the label onto people um, in that video. So I'm curious, like, you recall where you were applying that label and if it may have been unfair? I disagree with that characterization. I think I often say things have fascist tendencies, and I think that the line gets blurred when people are talking about whether or not people have fascist intentions or people are like enabling fascist outcomes. I don't think very many people have fascist intentions. I think the vast majority of the Republican Party just want, I don't know, um, people to stop having abortions and they want corn prices to go up or something. I don't know. They're, I, I feel like most of the people in the Republican Party probably aren't, like, card-carrying enactors of a fascist agenda. Um, but it's the extent to which a person's actions enable um, the strength of fascists or make it more likely that fascism takes place. And the line between what a, um, a person wants and what a person actually does is very, very, very rarely clean. So plenty of things have fascist tendencies. I'd say the Republican Party has been guiding us in this direction for a pretty long time. I don't think that's an irresponsible statement. The problem is, like, if you try super hardcore to essentialize everything. So, like, what, what in my mind at least, goes from, I think the Republican Party um, enables fascism, and therefore voters for the Republican Party do so as well, turns into, like, ah, you think there are 100 trillion fascists in America. Which, I, I mean, it gets essentialist to the point of being reductive, and at that point it feels more like name-calling back and forth. Of course, I could have done right. a much, much, much better job delineating the difference between the two, but I feel like there were points where I did, so I don't know. Okay. And do you think that that comes back to what you were saying earlier about sometimes ideas will come out incomplete, or you feel like they're ideas that, like, 
the the pieces are all there and if you choose to in good faith interpret it like you're going to come out with like a logical conclusion but if you're looking to tear it apart it's very easy to misconstrue it do you think that was similar with the fascism thing yes but that's my fault if i make arguments that are easy to tear apart like that then that's on me right i can't expect the people that i'm talking with to be super charitable uh, even at the beginning of that panel, there were like four, I don't know if they were Republicans, I didn't care much for their opinions, um, but they were certainly like conservative leading at the beginning. So the arguments have to be as bulletproof as they can be. I think that um, one of the problems that I have is that when I have a good argument, I'll lead with the hardest part and then I'll try to like explain it afterwards, which is fine in some settings, but not great in others. So I can open with a line, like, I believe, like, X is fascist, you know, or something like that, or contributes fascist tendencies. And the the work that goes into explaining that, or or clarifying that point, um, isn't the kind of work that shines very well in a panel. So you have to, um, you have to lead with the, the smaller point, you know? You have to lead with the, the, um, the premise before dropping the conclusion, which is usually how you should run arguments. But sometimes the, the latter effect can, like, pay off, you know? Yeah, and I'm sympathetic to panels, you know, not being the the greatest opportunity to flesh things out either. Um, particularly if like a majority of the panel disagrees with you or sees that as an opportunity to dogpile on you, they're going to make it very difficult to clarify positions. So if your strategy is to give that strong conclusion off the bat and then to invite nuance later, yeah, it is almost setting it up for failure, especially if there are going to be other people that are going to dogpile on it because you are you know you're not going to have that opportunity, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's good practice anyway. So, you know, it's good to get that in. Panel environments are terrible for, like, um, uh, for assessing ideas or, like, arriving at conclusions, but they're fantastic for learning how to operate under pressure, especially if you're the one getting dogpiled. So that's actually super important practice. You never know when it's going to be a Politicon debate at some point where the audience is going to be against me. You have to be able to operate um, completely smoothly under that kind of pressure. Mm. And um, I, I'm curious here, would you kind of agree that fascism as a word in particular, um, being in that kind of abbreviated statement, was going to invite this kind of trouble in a way that maybe other conclusions or other statements wouldn't. That fascism, because of the different ideas that people hold about it, and they tend to be ideas that are pretty, like they're pretty harsh uh, one way or the other, against it or for it or yada yada, mm -hmm. um, that kind of using that word leaves open to interpretation like uh, your statement for other people. It does. I just think there's also a harm to be done in tiptoeing around the term. We live in very scary times. I mean, we don't live in some sort of like 1990s-esque delusory, uh, you know, post-Cold War, everything's going to be okay if we can all hold hands and march together type of era, you know? We, we live in an era where like a good few 10 million people in this country are anti-democracy. And in that environment, I, I feel like we have to be fairly... Um, fairly direct with our criticisms. Um, so the real question is like, how effectively can you deliver them, you know? I wish that um, people in the on the broader left, like in the Democratic Party, would be more comfortable adopting that. I hate this faux bipartisanship, this Joe Biden stuff, you know? Like, oh, the Republicans and the Democrats, we have our differences, but we're working together, you know? Not really, no. The Republican Party hasn't worked on anything constructive in this country in a pretty long time, so I... Um, <laughs> I just I don't I don't like that that facade. I think that it's important we sort of um, uh, take to it a little bit harder. The real question is though, like, can you do that without coming off like some kind of raving lunatic who will call anything and everything fascist? <laughs> For the most part, 
Sure, I think so. I mean, we're not talking Vietnam War protests here. Used to be left activists would call anything and everything fascist. For the most part, I think that saying, like, X is fascist, and then, like, crossing your arms and doing, like, the Chad grin, I think for the most part that works fine if you're talking to one person. Because you have the opportunity to, like, you hit them with the hammer, and then you sort of build it up, you know? You build the sandcastle around that. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, of, of course, again, that gets exponentially more difficult in certain environments. But it's good practice. Yeah. And I, I think we're both kind of sensing that in that tactic, it's it's a bit of an imprecise tool off the bat. And I think a lot of your success in like fleshing that out is dependent on how well that first swing of the hammer landed. And if that falters at all, or it wasn't really set like, you know, a good choice for that situation, you're almost kind of guaranteed defeat with that kind of tactic. So I, I do wonder about that a little bit. And I wonder if that's something that you're thinking about as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always risk-reward, right? The easiest strategy in any debate is to never actually challenge anything, but just, like, my minor aesthetic criticisms of some, like, tangential elements of a person's position that are really easy to aesthetic... Or, sorry, not aesthetically. Empirically disprove or prove. That's always the safest bet for an argument, you know? You, like, take a, a firm stance that's completely grounded in data, and then you don't try to make any bold leaps. You don't try to make any strong social prescriptions afterwards. It's effective, but also I don't think that's what we need more of right now. I think that's the easy answer. I think the hard answer, the more effective strategy, is to get way, way, way better with the hard criticisms. Um, so, of course, it's just a matter of getting good at that, I suppose. Sure. And to, to kind of briefly respond to that, like, um, my personal thing is to just figure out, and this is something I get to practice more so in real life, and I do understand that there's a huge difference between making these arguments live and, you know, when you have a brand and these other things kind of that you need to keep in mind as well, or like you're on a show and it needs to be entertaining and everybody else is trying to do that as well, it kind of makes it difficult. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I honestly like to start with feelings and then move from there rather than like the evidence and move from there. So like, yeah, so how are we feeling about this? Yeah, like, I, I, I don't like this, and you don't like that, and you hate this, and it feels shitty that stuff is working this way. Like, let's start with amorphous, and then let's see if I can take that fuzzy picture and clarify it into something that's different than they would have clarified it on their own. Yeah, that's, that's just because... Oh, sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think that people, even even people that think they're logical we're starting with a very fuzzy idea of what we think and that's coming into clarity as we think more about it and so i think starting at step one with people and then being an active part in that clarification process is where i like to position myself oh sure when it works right i mean depending on the environment of course the um yeah. i mean the best strategy for almost any conversation where you have a disagreement you want to amend is to find the shared points of agreement and then work outwards, providing them alternative solutions to problems that they have that fit within the framework they have, or at the very least, don't don't uh, uh, contradict their framework too harshly. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I remember this was super early on in my career, but I was debating Jesse Lee Peterson, you know? Um, you, you know, uh, amazing, that guy? The, yeah. Yeah, right, right, yeah, I figured. And... Um, this guy, I mean, his brain's soup, so we're not going to do much here for consistent arguments, but I remember that he, um, I, I remember that he, um, he plays this whole, like, preacher thing up pretty hard, you know, like, oh, the gays, the lesbians, they're lost, we have to help them, you know, everyone deserves God's uh, mercy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but then he said that, like, um, America shouldn't do anything to assist, like, ailing 
foreign countries, like assist in the Middle East, that sort of thing, because they're their own countries with their own mistakes, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think I made some argument like, well, would it not be an act of God to go in there and, and you know, uh, uh, try to help them with their problems like a saintly man, you know? Why, why not extend to them the same hand you would a sinner or a drunkard or et cetera, et cetera? He didn't have much of a response to that because aesthetically it works exactly within what he tries to say. You know, it, it meets his mm -hmm. his definition really well. That, the extent to which that works really depends on the type of person you're talking to. If I was talking to Steven Crowder, that would never work, right? Because, like, he yeah. doesn't actually care about anything related to this. It would, it, 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 would it would just be, like, an opportunity for him to impugn me for my naivete. Hmm. Um, going back to the fascism thing just briefly, um, I would agree that there is harm in tiptoeing around injustices just in general, um, particularly if they're becoming like a trend for half of the country. Um, but I wonder if the injustice or if the problem here is specifically fascism or fascistic policy, or if more specifically it's it's what you kind of elaborated on when you said anti-democracy or anti-democratic. Would it not be more beneficial to kind of use anti-democratic as that hammer and then explain the anti-democratic because it'll take less steps? Or are you still kind of down for using fascism as that hammer? Oh, I'm totally down for it because I think that anti-democratic only begins to describe it because it's not just anti-democratic, you know. Um, mm. it's, it's, it, it fits like holistically the broader package that tends to describe fascist behavior. Um, anti-democratic is obviously a big part of it. But I mean, the rampant xenophobia, the chauvinism, the rejection of modernity, all the all the components like really fit together really, really cleanly here. So it seems almost like a, a textbook definition. So the question isn't so much, would I rather swap out this hammer because I think it'd be more apt generally. It's in which audiences do I think it most appropriate to use that kind of criticism? So one audience that I probably would be a little bit more hesitant to use it with is Tim Pool's, for example. Because Tim Pool has a massive audience of people who I think, who who I think, um, behave in ways virtually identical uh, to fascists, but I think that many of them think they're just sort of earnest speakers of truth, um, who are totally, totally bipartisan, and it's just big tech and the Democratic Party's authoritarianism that's gone too far. And for those people, I think that if you use the term fascism around them, they get very antsy. So you don't want to do that. Instead, for those people, you want to, oh, God, you have to lay it on so lightly with them, you know? Uh, well, yeah, the Democratic Party sucks too, man. I know. I super duper hate the Democratic Party. And hey, man, hasn't the Republican Party not really done, like, the things they said they would do? Just saying, like, man, maybe they're both not the solution. You have to, like, warm around them so, so softly because they're very defensive. Um... I mean, yeah, a tool for the job, right? Yeah. So I'm rambling Crime. a little bit on these questions, but it's 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 genuinely difficult. It's been a little while since I've run through like a big circuit of conservative debates, so maybe after that, I'll I'll have maybe a, a renewed feeling on how effective that rhetorical strategy is. No, no worries, and I I don't think you're rambling, so it's oh, not bothering you. me at all. I appreciate that. Um, I'm also doing good at the game, so I'm actually. I'm actually uh, outperforming my expectation in, in pretty much every way I imagined. Damn. Um, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not watching the game just because That's similar totally to you, okay. I, I have a rough time with dividing the attention. <laughs> um, 
I, I, I think that people are expecting me to kind of flesh out more this mischaracterization, this mix, mischaracterization or lying or whatever thing. So I know that you've mentioned that misremembering is something that happens frequently for you and maybe even more so for you than other debaters. Is that is that kind of like an accurate characterization or um, to be perfectly forthcoming? I don't know any other people who do debates. Uh, wait, actually, I should I should amend this a little bit. There are plenty of people who I know and respect, who I know do debates, that um, that I'm not, that I don't like. I haven't watched them that much. Um, so like RGR, Dylan Burns, Demon Mama, Hans of Hakir, um, mm -hmm. Jangles. I've seen a few debates of his. They're all phenomenal. With the people who I tend to debate, I don't think that I come off uniquely dishonest. Um, I think that the lapses that I have in my memory are either within expectations of others or other people are significantly more dishonest than I am but I don't think it's like some uh, aberrant behavior on my part it's always something that can be worked on of course I'm not saying that doesn't make it um, worth improvement it's just not something that I that I think of and think like oh god I'm behind the pack you know sure um, and to kind of build on that and add some some like I don't know charitability or weight to it like I think that it seems to happen when you're really pushed on something, like when the conversation is moving very quick, we switch between three different points, we're referring to something that had happened a little while ago, or maybe even in a stream prior. Um, I think that these are the moments where like the memory starts to slip. Um, and the thing that sucks is um, a lot of the times this is coming out in the form of like a mischaracterization of something that you had said or an argument that you were making or the sentiment behind some of the statements that you were making and it makes it very difficult when in some of these cases like with redacted in a lot of the conversations you guys have had the subject of the conversation is the very thing that you're mischaracterizing and that can make it really really difficult to listen to or to watch some of those um, but I really do think that comes down to when you're when you're getting stressed, when you're really getting pushed. And that might be why you don't see it in these other conversations. Sure. But with the, with the specific reference to that conversation, you just say destiny if you want. By the way, with specific okay. to that question, I don't think I misrepresented the fundamental subject. The main issue that I had in that conversation was a transpositional error, a broader conspiracism in the 2000 Al uh, uh, you know, Al Gore v. George Bush um, election shenaniganry. A conspiratorial intent that I uh, transferred down a few extra levels to the specific butterfly ballot. But in terms of the misrepresentation of the broader conversation, I don't really think I engaged. Okay, um, you certainly have in other past conversations, though. For instance, where you um, were trying to kind of cast shade on his perspective about things. Um, uh, because of his class, because of his wealth. Um, this is one that I remember off the top of my head where it was very clear that you were mischaracterizing um, the purpose of some of the statements you were making about that. You were trying to kind of downplay uh, what your intent was with pointing that out. Wait, I'm not entirely sure what we're referring to. We can, so with, with this, see, I don't wanna, <clears throat> I don't wanna be dishonest, but if we're going to start referring <laughs> back to like elements of conversations from a year ago, I'm not going to be able to, remember their entirety i feel like i'm gonna have to rely on your memory and if that's the case i feel like we might run into a few things where i have a a very strong feeling that things went differently than you're recalling it um i think one time while criticizing a position from destiny i said well he has a uh, you know his he's he's ex wealthy or his class position 
may have made him less sympathetic to the poor or something like that. Um, which, I mean, this is a this is broadly a true thing. The, the longer a person is wealthy, the more likely it is that they'll grow more callous or more distanced from the, um, the experiences of poor people. And that refers to myself as well. I've said that about myself on stream. Like, oh God, you know, it's been like, um, it's been like two years since I've had to buy like groceries on sale. I hope this doesn't turn me into a cunt down the line. <laughs> so I think I think that's just like a broader tendency. If I apply to him like specifically, then I stand by like the, the broader element of that behavior. The fact that that's something that generally happens. I don't remember the specific context in which I said that though. Yeah. Um, so basically he presented the the argument that you're laying out and he said this is essentially to poison the well about my opinion or my perspective on this thing and rather than kind of meeting him there at the poisoning the well or kind of offering something that is leaning in that direction um you said oh that maybe your class might have some kind of impact on your beliefs or on your positions yeah i'm sure that i said that and when you do things like that it's difficult because I would agree with you that yeah, your 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 wealth is probably going to impact those positions, maybe to a huge extent, and maybe to an extent that even the individual can't really account for. It's tough for I think them to see that from the first person. And so when you kind of try to walk those things back, and this is a, a criticism well, what, that's what walk back? You mean so I didn't walk so, back the statement, I only said to, it wasn't an attempt to poison the well. Um so to, to give a brief note on the walk back thing, this is generally not a way that I like to word it. Um, and it's just the way that I see other people wording it. So if you see me say like uh, this walk back thing, it's so you because this- characterize it as a walk back then. That's a characterization that he would have made then. I think it, it upsets you and I see that it upsets you all the time. And I think it's like a needless way of describing it. Well, I, I'm, just, it I'm just asking like, was there a, a, a statement that I made and then I made a different statement afterwards. Because if, yeah, if walk almost back- almost all the time. That's part of your strategy with the hammer thing, right? Well, okay, but there's a difference between that and the walk back because making a statement and then clarifying it isn't necessarily walking back. Um, almost, okay. if, if you ask for clarification on a statement and then you give clarification, that's not walking it back. That's just even explaining something. I think that a walk back is when you have a take and then you explicitly say like, no, that's not true afterwards because you realize it's indefensible. Not just like you you modify it in some way or you you um, ah, you clarify okay. it because everyone clarifies their arguments, don't they? Yeah. So here's here's a way that I could uh, refine this a little bit more. So I'm not sure the issue is in clarifying a statement. I think the issue is in taking responsibility for the implications of the first statement. So taking responsibility for the fact that there are implications and effects, whether it's on the audience or on your fellow interlocutors, that occur as a result of choosing to give that first statement rather than the clarified or rather than the drawn out statement that we end up arriving at. And this kind of difference between like the effects of the first statement versus the long drawn out one is what people are frustrated that you're not giving a lot of credence to. Well, this comes down to charitability because you can make this case for almost any statement made that does not perfectly align with any future clarification i mean in practice like it, it is never actually the case that a person delivers the entirety of a fully formed argument in the first utterance of that argument usually yeah. you, you have to build upon premises so if you if you make an initial statement 
and then further clarification is asked for. I don't think that's like a sneaky debate tactic or anything. I just think that's how conversations no, work. No, but in your case, it is a very intentional thing. So we're saying that, yeah, this happens with people all the time on accident, but this is an intentional thing that you're employing as a debate tactic. No, no, people uh, I, hate, I hate this debate tactic, you know, well, it's phraseology. It's a but... big meme, but no, people deliberately do this. People deliberately clarify statements that they've made. I'm not, I'm not saying every single time I say a thing and then later like add nuance to that statement that it's because of some 9,000 IQ attempt to d d confuse and upset my opponent or anything like that. It's just how arguments are phrased sometimes. Well, it's a predictable effect of your strategy, it's which is to do the all. hammer and then... Well, that's, well, hold on. That that's We were talking about with the context of fascism, not every statement I've ever made that I later clarify is, is part of that deliberate strategy. Like, the implication here is that me saying that Destiny's opinions on X or Y may be affected by his wealth, and, and then me saying, I still don't know what the walk back here is because I feel like that's what I would have said initially. Um, but it, it, the idea, the implication that this is some kind of like deliberate strategy to confuse or disorient people isn't true. I just think that's what people do. I think everyone does that to an extent. You called what I said in the context of this conversation walking back, and then later you said, well, I'm not saying it. That's just a word I see used in reference to it. Could I call that a walk back? Because you made an initial statement and then added context to it when I asked you to explain. Because to me, that almost felt like one. Like you were going, you were saying I was walking back, but then you didn't want to defend the intent implicit in that statement. So you deferred it to somebody else's language. But I wouldn't call that a walk back on your end because again, like how am I supposed to know, right? Isn't it just how people I would talk? actually be totally fine if you labeled it a walk back and um, that's because um, that's because the effect of saying the thing is what I don't want to run away from and I think that's important for a lot of people and I think that in accepting this like walk back terminology what people are actually looking for is like you realize that having started at position A and then moving to position like A not B where it's like more complicated um, you had a lot of impacts by saying it in the A version that are not present in the A not B version. And so like reconciling the difference in the effect there, I think is what people are looking for. And when you hand wave it, I think that's when well, people have a problem. Just when did I hand wave it? Earlier in this talk, I acknowledged that there is a point when deliberately invoked to present the conclusion of an argument before its premises to invite discourse. But like in what, what have I walked back here? Sure. I think a more clear example would be to go back to the well poisoning example that the effect of you having that abbreviated statement about how his wealth is like clouding his judgment on these topics is to poison the well regarding his perspective at a broader level. And so not not being able to address that immediately when it's brought up to you and instead saying, oh, that maybe your class will impact your perspective. Of course, I believe that. It, it, that feels bad to people. I think that can that, feel slimy. Can't every negative statement about a person then be perceived as poisoning the well? Like so any, this is like, like a similar thing. <laughs> like we well, can well, default wait. back to these broader well, things, well, but on. I think We're what not... people are looking for is you to take responsibility for the impact of well, the statement. But I need, to, but yeah, but I, so I don't not take responsibility for the impact. I just need to know what the language we're using is and make sure that it's being applied accurately. So, with regards to the poisoning the well thing, is every negative statement about a person poisoning the well? Because I feel like, I mean, not just with me and Destiny, but with any people who disagree, a significant portion of their assessment of the other person's positions is going to be filled with negative statements about their intention or character. Um, 
as I understood it, poisoning the well didn't just mean like a negative position on X or Y, or like saying something that might lead a viewer to think negatively of a person, but it had to be a way of specifically pulling a viewer's attention away from the arguments of the opposition towards, um, towards a potential alternate solution. I don't think I did that because saying a person's judgment may be clouded by wealth isn't the same as pulling a person's like attention away from a given set of arguments. It's a possible explanation for what I would have called a significant degree of callousness. But if your position is that any negative thing said about like an interlocutor is poisoning the wealth, and I will absolutely own to that with Destiny and with anybody else that I've talked about or do, because I feel like it just happens a lot, you know? So I don't, I don't think that saying any negative thing about a creator or their positions uh, is poisoning the well, obviously. I think you know that I don't believe that. I think that's like a really, really broad characterization of something, and it's not nearly as specific as like what I'm trying to get at here, which is talking about how somebody's background or how somebody's wealth or how these things like about a person's like character or about their situation are hampering their ability to see clearly like what an answer somewhere would be. I think these are instances of like poisoning the well about a person or about their opinion. So you're essentially saying they're compromised because of their wealth. Something like this, I would say, is way closer to poisoning the well than saying like, oh, I think Vosh is dumb. Oh, that's a bad statement about Vosh. Therefore, it's poisoning the well about Vosh. Like, I, I don't know if these are like we have a very specific instance so i'm just trying to focus on the specific one i don't i don't believe in that generalized one obviously uh, it just it just seems like a lot of what a person says about another person could be char like characterized as um, poison the well it could, but, but if that's, but if, if that's the case then, then then sure yeah i guess i poison the well when i when, when i say that sort of thing I, if that's the case then i don't even think that's like a negative or dishonest thing to do because at that <laughs> you're point you're trying to go back to that but remember i i didn't wait. say that that's what i believed so wait hold on you so you just said because I just asked you, um, do you think then that a lot of negative things that you say about a person could potentially be characterized as poison the well? Um, I, I think you just said yes. I, I apologize if I'm forgetting in a debate tactic kind of way. Um, if that's the case, like if we believe that suggesting a reason as to why a person has a bad take or making negative statements about a person's character is like always poisoning the well, or or often poisoning the well, then then yes, I do that. I think everyone does that, and I'm fine with doing that. I mean, that would be so like... I know um, that's what... I, like, I'm I, having a tough time with this because I feel like um, I want to talk at the meta level how you're you're setting this up to like get out of this without really addressing what the specific problems are so by saying, is... well, if you if you think so broadly that any bad thing could be poisoning the well, then of course they'd have to admit to that. I'm not going to stop saying bad things about people, and if that's poisoning the well, then that is what it is. I'm okay with admitting that. So, this but that's is not what, what I'm trying to get you to you, you recognize. Think, so you think you're what you think you're or at least what the impression that I'm getting here is you're trying to get me to own up to a thing. But the thing I think you're trying to get me to own up to is something that I think that everybody does. And I don't want to turn this into some kind of like weird, lame back and forth, but I think that Destiny does this about me and about other people all the time because it's a normal thing that happens, um, like constantly. If you make a comment about a person's position and say they might be informed because of the political party that they're a part of, or because they're being paid by X or Y, or because they have a friend who believes this, or because they have a bias that leads to that. I mean, any statement about a person's intentions, anything like that, could come off as poisoning the well, because you're offering an alternative solution for why a person has a take they have. And 
with that definition in mind, unless you can provide me some kind of distinction, like a reason why all these behaviors wouldn't be poisoning the well, if we're including all of those in there, then I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to do. Maybe it's something that's contextually bad, like sometimes in these instances or another, like this was a bad act of poisoning the well. So when I think of a bad act of poisoning the well, I think of um, when Destiny had his um, his take on, um, what was it? His take on whether or not it was rape for trans women to not disclose that um, they have penises or whatever. Um, when I criticized that, Destiny opened up a 30 second clip of my stream, laughed and said, I don't know if you'd want to listen to Vosh when it comes to advice about girls. So that to me, <laughs> that to me would be an example of poisoning the well that I'd consider unjustified because it's not even like, it doesn't even purport to be a reasonable explanation for a behavior. It's literally just an effort to engage in a thought terminating cliche for your audience. Does yeah, that make sense? Um, yes, it does make sense. Okay. And I did appreciate that in your explanation, this time around you provided examples that are more attuned to what I think are like statements that could reasonably poison the well, like saying XYZ immutable characteristic about a person uh, makes them believe, you know, whatever they believe. Like, yeah, those sorts of statements are, or um, like what you just gave with Steven, for sure. Um, well, and, we all do this to an uh, extent, right? I mean, look, if you could look at Destiny's Reddit, the comments, everything, it's constantly full of, well, the reason why Vosh does well, this. Well, my is understanding is you didn't want cloud. to talk about him, so I'm trying to really avoid that. And generally, when I talk to true? either it's Steven about you or you about Steven, I try to make sure that, like, I just stay on topic with focusing about you specifically and your actions rather than going to the other person. I know that seems slimy, but I just, I, I want to talk about Vosh and Vosh's stuff here. Oh, it feels possible. like it's implicitly about both of us then, isn't it? If all the examples are going to be, if you're going to give an example about like my rhetorical strategy and it's in relation to something relating to him, in order for me to defend myself, I have to invoke him. So it seems like it's inevitably like something that's going to come up, right? I don't know if there's when a you're way bringing that up like well he does this and he does this and people do this like um i understand that other people could do this you could find other examples of this and i'm sure if we went down the list you could find me agreeing with you on on these different points like i did with the one that you just brought up uh with this women com uh, comment that he made about you um you will find me agreeing with those but i just feel like they distract and kind of get off of the path of like the kinds of conversations I like to have, which are just focused on the person sitting in front of me. Cause I Possibly. feel like, but you also have to consider, especially considering the context of the conversation we're having and of what's happened recently, that if you come here and to be real, impugn my behavior, um, in a way that is related to destiny, the, uh, it's not just like, um, a neutral invocation of my rhetorical strategies for the purpose of civil conversation it's going to come off as a criticism of me relative to him. So it feels like in a way I have to respond with, okay, well, this is something we all do, right? Because otherwise I feel like I'm, I'm acceding to what is essentially a criticism phrased as like a debate topic. Maybe that comes off as defensive, but that's certainly the way it feels to me, like a little bit implicitly. I don't know if, if you know where I'm coming at with that. Yeah, I, I think it for sure is defensive, but I can also understand why you feel that way. And, and it is like, it, and that sounds very like, you know, uh, hand wavy, but um, no, I, I do get that. Everything, any criticism I make of you, uh, particularly given that I cover both of you and particularly given the recent history between the two of you is going to be something that's, you know, people are going to compare. They're going to compare and contrast. I just like, I know that's going to happen. And if you feel the need to, we can keep bringing those up. I just don't want to engage with them too much just because that's not my purpose well, here. That's fine um, like I. Me. 
Uh, well, um, just so, to be clear to the oh, audience, because sure, I, I operate a little bit differently than um, some of the debate people. So I really, when I'm in the conversations with either you or Steven or whoever, I really just want to help you and focus on you. Um, I'm not here to like set you up or for like making statements that are going to fuck you over with somebody else or fuck you over in a different um, circumstance. If you wanted to make these like clarifying points um later on that's really cool i just feel bad because i'm not going to be able to engage with them um and i have to like let you say them and then just like not address them and i i don't want you to feel like i'm dodging them i just want to be transparent about like why i wouldn't you know carry on talking about steven when i'm here to talk about you that sort of thing oh sure i mean again, but again like i think that there's always going to be that kind of like relational discourse you know um if um i think that or at least I imagine most people would agree that there's always going to be the implicit undertone of a relational criticism when bringing up a problem with a potential debate tactic when exclusively using examples from arguments that I've had with him. But either way, like I'm, I'm amenable to the criticisms, hence the fascism stuff. I mean, I understand that where these things come from. The most, um, the most like critical elements of the rhetoric that I get tend to be from conversation with Destiny. I think in most part because... Um, most of the people who I debate are conservatives, which means they're operating at a very low bar. Um, so, <laughs> he, I mean, right, yeah. So, like, relatively speaking, there's always going to be more contention from arguing with, like, left-leaning people, for example. I know some people felt similarly about my conversation with Bastia. These are always going to be, like, conversations that dig a little bit deeper than what you're getting from conservatives. Hopefully, you're not so impartial that you can't let me trash on conservatives and their general ability to have conversations. No, I'm... Again, it's like off the beaten path of like where I want to go, but I'm totally fine with it because it's con it's context that'll help the audience to um, you know process the conversation. So it's totally fine. Have you uh, have you ever gone over the rhetorical strategy of a conservative with a conservative? Uh, of a conservative with a conservative in private, quite a few times. They tend to not want to do it in public, though. Um, yeah. No, that'd be uh, that'd be good content sometime. You got to convince one of them to let you keep uh, OBS on during that combo. Yeah, and um, I think some of them like I actually appreciate like the strength in some of their approaches uh, around particular topics. Like I know a lot of people hate this guy, and you may even think less of me for saying this, but um, that Rob Nor guy. Um, I know that you may not agree with him. You may think he's a, a shit or whatever. Um, but I think that he is able to keep up in a way that I don't see everybody able to keep up. And he really is, I, I don't know, from the conversations I've seen of him, he seems to be capable of having these conversations, even if he's frustrating to deal with. Uh, he He's definitely capable of having conversations. I wouldn't take that, uh, that appraisal <laughs> away from him. He, he does have them. Um, sorry, I'm just checking something. One second. Um, well, anyway, yeah, I, I, he wants me to go on his panel. I can't do it, man. Those conversations, oh boy. I get some of the conservatives confused. I think he was the one who kept saying that like 97% of trans people end up regretting their transition because he found a statistic um, <laughs> where, where like 97% of kids who display gender non-conforming tendencies don't go on to medically transition or something. And then that's like five steps to have to walk him through, like why that's not exactly the proving what he thinks it's proving, right? That was the hippy dippy championship. That was like that was like thirty minutes dedicated to that particular uh, that particular subject. It was great. 
Do you enjoy those or do you prefer when you have the opportunity to like get past all of the misinformation and have a conversation at like a, a deeper level? I, I enjoy those conversations at a content level. I know that they're fun. They're, they're, I mean, they're fun like screaming and throwing shit like a monkey, right? I mean, that's fun. I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not some kind of, you know, prude. I enjoy that, but it, it doesn't give me the sense that I'm really advancing people's understanding of an idea. The reason I started the channel or like the, the, the thing that I wanted to focus on with the channel was rhetorically focused as well. The basic premise was that conservative arguments are really, really easy to debunk. You generally don't need to have any kind of solid education on the subject, not even like Wikipedia tier. You can just confidently approach them as long as you know even a little bit about the bullshit they throw out, just very, very easily. And for the most part, that's been completely true. There are a couple of caveats to that. Trans issues and conspiracy issues tend to be a little more complicated, just, well, they're complicated subjects, but um, for the most part, I think I like adhering to that, you know? That I don't have to do research on an opponent's topic before feel comfortable talking about it with them. If they're, if it's like some conservative mishmash, you know, like, like, uh, God, Trump and immigration or something like that. I mean, the research <laughs> helps, but it's, I think it's important rhetorically to help left-leaning people understand that it's easier to challenge their shitty uncles at family reunions than they may think it is. Hmm. Um, and, and to just like tie a nice ball in the mischaracterization thing just so we can move past it. Um, I, not, not to talk about it as a problem and not to talk about like, um, the, the hammer idea as a problem where you start with the general and then you're able to refine it a little bit more and give more nuance to it. I, I really think that whether you consider it in private or throughout the course of this conversation, a solution to just keep in mind that when people are upset that you're using that strategy or when people are upset that you're like, quote unquote, walking something back or you're doing these other things that they're labeling one way or the other, I think what they're really looking for is to identify the difference in impact of the initial statement or the initial argument and the last one. How could the initial one be misconstrued super easy? How could it be applied in a scenario where it doesn't work? How could it be uh, applied to groups of people that it clearly doesn't fit? I think they're just looking for some kind of like sanity check that you realize that these two statements have different impacts or like they're able to be used differently or understood differently. And I think that's just- Oh sure, um, I just don't necessarily know if that's a, a bad thing. The, um, the framing of expectations and the refinement of an argument to a point, it's almost like, um, have you seen any of those JCS videos? The, um, yeah. Right, so one of the things that detectives will do is they will attempt to present information to a suspect in an order that maximizes the extent to which they can acquire information from them. Um, and I find that sometimes that technique works a little bit as well with debates, where if you're debating somebody and you lay out a general statement like really, really hard, you can get them to start to make um, positions that you're going to have to force them to walk back later as you clarify yours. So, um, so an example of that would be the, um, the conversation that I had with uh, Doug Tenepal, um, the creator of Earthworm Jim, and tragically a QAnon lunatic, uh, I had a conversation with him about um, the January 6th Capitol riots, whether or not it was Antifa, really high IQ stuff like that, you know? And I came in with some fairly broad denunciations to begin with, his positions on 
COVID and on January 6th, Capitol riots and on misinformation. And generally, I just said a bunch of mean stuff to him. And what I got was for him to, and chat, I'm sure some of you remember this, I got him to start doubling and tripling down on positions that I knew I could cover later and get him to walk back on. So then after we do the initial run over where he thinks that my claims are extreme, so his get to be extreme too. No, no, my claims weren't extreme. They just weren't finished. And then we walk it back over and all of the statements that he made initially fall like, I don't know, like dominoes or something. That's, I think that's the strategy in its, in its highest possible form. That's when it's at its most effective. Yeah, um, and to be clear, in, in case I haven't already, I think there is utility in that strategy. Um, and I, I acknowledge it from the fascism conversation all the way to this example that you've just given me. There can be a lot of utility in starting out with that hammer and then piecing the the things together afterwards. And it can bring out arguments or bring out positions or emotions or things that otherwise would not have been if you would have started out with the nuanced take. Um, I just think that one of the unfortunate consequences of that are uh, you know, the criticisms that you've been receiving. And I think that there is a way to have your cake and eat it too, to use this and get all the benefit and the utility out of this strategy while also accounting for some of the downfalls of it or some of the rhetorical pitfalls that are going to come alongside it and to be prepared for those. So if you're in something like uh, like a panel, uh, using your outro as a place to like give that final disclaimer that yes, uh, I will say to the people on this panel, yeah, I do realize that the first statement could be construed to be this way, could construed to be that way. Like, like you sort of almost did this in that uh, reverie panel where you said like, unfortunately with something like a panel i have to give that kind of statement and it's going to stir up the beehive and then we're going to have a conversation about that where i will try my best to flesh that out if you guys don't give me the opportunity to do that yeah i'm not going to look the greatest here um but you know that's that's a, a strategy that works on panels and i like using it and that's that's the end of it but i think that adding another part to that where you are like yeah, I understand where you guys are coming from, that it has this impact, that I like use their specific things that they're saying that are problematic about that to just let them know that they're not crazy, that, yeah, I, I see this, I see that, and I am well aware of this consequence of that initial statement, and I'm willing to own that because it is part of my strategy. Um, I, I just think that that would be the advice moving oh, sure. forward with that, though, maybe. Though do keep in mind that with regards to the fascism thing specifically, I did say that in the panel, I'm pretty sure. Uh, not, again, debate tactics, et cetera, et cetera. People can fact check me on this, but no. I remember a couple of times I said something along the lines of like, we're not really talking about whether or not people like believe they're fascists. What we're fundamentally talking about is, um, is, um, is, you know, um, is whether or not like people enable fascist outcomes. I think I mentioned that. Um, but even that comes off like relatively weak, rhetorically speaking, because if you, if you end up like taking that approach at that time, the, um, the consequence of that is going to feel like it's um, walking it back because you don't get an opportunity to clarify it afterwards because the panel shouting keeps, you know, continuing. So it's really just uh, the panel environment, which is why I should do more of them. Got to get better at it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be clear, my opinion on this is that this is like you like smoking next to like the gasoline truck because you don't have to walk so far away and you're you're sick of walking and i'm like well if you wore gasoline when the gas explodes it'll it'll burn you a little bit less so i understand that these are like band-aids on this technique i think the technique is always going to have these problems basically and i think that like that that would be why i wouldn't pick it i get why you do because 
that you've done a cost benefit and you think that this is the way you want to engage on panels. Um, I think it's Viktor Frankl or somebody that says that um, uh, people act unusual when they're in unusual circumstances or they act extraordinary in extraordinary circumstances. I think the panel show format is an extraordinary or strange circumstance and people are going to come up with extraordinary or strange ways of handling it. So I try not to throw stones at that level. Well, Twitch but, political yeah, the, panel shows are, are in human environments. The human brain isn't isn't designed to accommodate the the um, the the unique challenges you face in those environments. It's just not meant to. We, you yeah. really are like on the um, like on an alien world. You know, you got to come in with the biohazard suit and the the antibiotics. <laughs> um, kind of to address something I'm seeing um, criticized or, or levied at me in in your chat. Um, uh, into oh, don't look at my then... chat. Alright. <laughs> so if my tone is pretty like monotone or if I sound really tired, I'm really hungover. I had like a a long night at a at a gay bar last night and I'm just oh. I'm still recovering. Um Are you uh but um Are you LGBT? I didn't know. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. I don't know if I'm bi or pan. I I'm still a little confused on that, but one or the other, I think. Um but uh yeah, in any case, like, I'm sorry that my tone is not communicating uh, all that it could be, but I think that's a similar criticism that I would say for you, and I'm wondering if that's something that you're aware of to some extent, because I've but heard fans of yours. Um, yeah, if monotone is the way that you understand it. Oh, I... Oh, when I try to... When I try to tell jokes, sometimes they don't get it. Um, yeah, I... I feel I feel like sometimes the deadpan humor doesn't ring with these people, but I I honestly just don't know if they're like five year olds or if they're all like cripplingly autistic and they don't. Which I say as an autistic person, Twitch, so I'm okay, I'm allowed to say it. Thank you. Um, yeah, but I um I feel I feel like often yeah, there's just don't get deadpan humor. Um, which which is a shame because I'm not going to stop. Did, wait, or did you mean outside of jokes? Did you mean that like for for broader political engagement? Um, well, because I'm I'm the rhetoric guy and I like to focus on like the conversational stuff, I guess it could be debate, it could be conversation, it could be anything, but um, I think tone is a dimension of your performance or of your speaking that is underutilized. And um, I think that it can cause problems ranging from not getting a joke to not being able to understand your confidence level on something um, to various other problems, but that tone not being used as a dimension to communicate stuff might be a little bit of a of an issue. Oh, I always thought that I was a pretty, um, now I elevate my tone because you pointed it out. I've always thought that I was fairly, uh, um, outspokenly, um, what would, what would the term be? Polytonal? Or something? Um, I guess I can think of some instances where that hasn't been the case. Usually for debates, I feel like I'm pretty animated. What, what would a, what would a context be for, um, for, for, for being monotone and it, like, hurts my arguments in some way? Yeah, um, so, I don't want to word it as monotone necessarily because I think that when I'm talking about tone, I mean tone in terms of like the conversation. So sometimes you'll, like if we took three different arguments that you made during a debate and we tried to evaluate what is his confidence level on each of these arguments, I think people would probably put it at close to 90% for every single one, even if perhaps one was like your hammer or one was perhaps hap uh, like your clarification or one was something that you learned about last week because you read 
read about it and you're not super duper sure, but this is your current understanding of it. They have to listen for you to give that context and you have to give that context because they cannot read it in your speech. Um, yeah, I actually, I actually haven't thought of that before. I actually think that's, um, I actually feel like that's a fairly incisive criticism. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought of that because, um, because I do think fundamentally that it's a right in a debate to be able to present an argument that you are half uh, serious about. No, sorry, not half serious, half um, uh, half committed to. You're half aware of. You mm. know, it's like you're, you're testing it on. You're putting uh, you're putting some shoes on. But I, um, um, what would the term be? Posturing tends to imply dishonesty, so I wouldn't ascribe that to myself. But the 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 macho debate bro stuff, the the confidence. I hope that's what it comes off as. I feel pretty confident, you know, generally. Um, I think that does come across pretty equally in pretty much every claim that I make, which means that there are going to be some claims that I make that's more, uh, you know, more, more. Uh, I'm, I'm trying the shoes on, but it sounds like mm -hmm. they're all the same. I think I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I can think of a couple of times when that's happened. Okay, because that's something that I've thought about that I just... I don't see people putting into words in a very good way because they tell you things like you're monotone or like people really like this impression that I do of you. That's uh, almost like a kind of, oh yeah, I'm a yuppie and I do that like this kind of like. No, no, uh, give, no, give me smooth. a full, give me a full script read on on that. Come on. Well, Stephen, if you believe this, I can't believe that you like it, it, it's sort of like that. I don't know. You'd have to give me something to say. <laughs> no, that's okay. I can, uh, I can, I can only handle being. Um being dragged for so long. You have to do the whole Coconut Island speech, I think. <laughs> Yuppie! Okay, Jesus. I didn't try to don't try to come off as posh or anything. Yeah, uh, that's that's me putting on to it. That's me projecting. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's totally fine. Honestly, the it, the the funny thing is is that the easiest like meme you can make about my voice is that I sound exactly like my dad. Just nobody knows what my dad sounds like. So they um they, they don't know this is this is all highly derivative. Um I guess my dad will be visiting Seattle sometime soon. He'll probably pop on stream at some point to say hi. You guys could be like, oh. You guys, is more to my chat there, but yeah, you get what mm. I mean. uh, uh, Completely off topic, but I swear to God, we'll get back really, really quick. How is the summer right now in Seattle? Is it as warm as it was last year, or is it kind of nice? We had a brief heat wave um, where things were peaking in the low 90s, and since nobody has AC in Seattle, that kind of sucked. It's going to be Dude. pretty hot again. But that's only for like 20% of the summer. The non-heat wave chunks of it are just spectacular. Um, I've never lived in a more beautiful place. Oh, it's so nice. Like when, when everything dries up a little bit and the sun comes out, like all those trees and the ferns and the greenery, like oh, it's it's just, it's it's really, really pretty up there. I, I envy you. <laughs> it is very nice. Well, where do you live? Um, Right now I'm in uh, Tijuana in Mexico. Really? Yeah. Huh. Or you, or you are, sorry, I don't know much about the lore. Are you Mexican or is this a vacation thing? Family, friends, business? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Hispanic, but um, uh, I, I'm just here because it's what I can afford with uh, streaming full time. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, I can I can afford this. Prior to that, I was um, living in my van that unfortunately broke down near the start of COVID. And I've, I was stuck in that situation for a long while before streaming finally was able to pay for some of my bills. So... That's been it's been nice to not be in the van anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sorry the van broke. I'm happy you're not in it anymore. That's nice. 
Yeah, it's it's a lot better, a lot better for streaming particularly. Um, but um, to to get back on 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 track, because I promised I would. Right. Very, um, very brief divergence. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. I I hate seeing that people give criticisms that they're not putting into words the best way. They're not thinking like two steps down the line to find examples or to be generally specific or generally specific to have some specificity in the claims that they're making. And this is one of those. I see people say you're monotone and that's the first thing that you tell me. But I think what they're really getting at is sometimes this confidence level thing or sometimes that the this dimension of tone is just one that's not being used and they're used to looking there for answers with other people that they're just not finding it with you. And then if they find anything they disagree with you about or anything like that and you you seem to defend everything at the same level of like hardcore demeanor then they think poorly of you and i just wish people would like put these things into words in a better way and that's kind of what i tried to do on the channel so i'm happy that that's something that i was able to put into words for you and maybe some of the audience members but i am sad that that's not like a normal thing that people do um because it doesn't give you anything to work with yeah i um the only like major tonal shift that I engage in when I'm talking with people is really whether I'm talking to my audience, whether I'm talking to their audience. If I'm talking to a very large content creator, it shifts more towards the latter, of course, where they have a potentially larger audience to access than my own. My audience likes hard arguments and blood and contention and funny drama, and that's fine. <laughs> and I love them. But if I'm talking with somebody like Tim Pool or Kyle Kalinske and Crystal Ball, the recent podcast there, not only am I not talking to my audience primarily, I am literally talking on shows of theirs. The people listening to me right then and there are not my audience. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching a larger pool. So when I talk to those people, I always try to come off a lot more careful. I think that for the mm. most part, I was really careful when I talked to Tim Pool. Um, the only exception maybe being the Obamagate shit, because I'm not fucking versed on every stupid right-wing conspiracy theory at every given time. Since read up on it, but I doubt it'll come up again because the conservatives they adopt and drop conspiratorial positions you know like like mm -hmm. nothing so it'll probably not come up again um but anyway yeah so that's the that's the tonal shift that i tend to engage in most aggressively but the tonal shift to adjust mid-argument my level of conviction on a point that's an interesting one i'll definitely try to keep that in mind yeah um, and because it also like gives people footholds in the conversation for you, like, oh, it doesn't seem like he's super certain on this. So maybe he wasn't aware that this is a study that disproves what he's saying or, you know, something like that. It can like, oh, I w what a dream that would be, man. You know, because there's always a study that <laughs> inevitably, if you talk long enough, somebody's going to find something that proves you wrong on something. I, I mean, it's impossible to avoid that. Oh, God, if I could find myself like a, a, a debate environment where I get something wrong, people are like, actually, you know, here, maybe you should take a look at this. Oh, God, that'd be amazing. What a life that would be. This is that IRL versus debate arena thing is like in real life, particularly in academia, I don't know if your experience is different. Like when you when you invite like like you can invite people into that and they do handle it in a much better way, like correcting you or directing you to sources you may not have read before. And they do it in a much more like careful and wholesome way than they do online. And that's it's an unfortunate difference that I've had to learn to contend with. Yeah, it was like my conversation with Jesse Lee Peterson, the height of good faith. Unironically, though, compared to a lot of stuff online, Jesse Lee Peterson is a gem, you know? I mean, he's 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 dumb as rock. I still don't know how intentional, like how aware he is of how dumb he comes off, but 
Um, um, he's he's so nice, you know, really charming stuff. That guy. It's good to hear that he's nice, because some of the things he says seem to be really, really mean. <laughs> oh yeah, no heinous political beliefs, borderline neo-Nazi. Some of the stuff that he prescribes, but he's so nice. Nice old guys, you know. Um, plus, you can't hate him. He's like really not all there, <laughs> you know. Mm. Uh, he'd have us killed in an instant if he could. Yeah, it's sad to think about. I, there are so many people in the country that are like that, and that's really, I feel like, in part, why there's so much hostility. Like, why the the culture that is counter to that has to like. Has to point out things like this is getting fascistic, or no, you guys are like denying my ability to live because the repercussions of some of these policy decisions by people on the right, in particular, like really harm people in in serious ways that I don't think there is on the forefront of their mind when they're when they're doing this or taking these positions, um, or at least I would hope that it's not. Yeah, this um, stuff is so serious. That's the um. It's so serious and it's so not serious. That's the thing that really, really bugs me, you know? Um, it's one of the reasons why I really... There's there's a general internet stigma, especially on the left, against debate bros, right? Like, that's a general stigma. And one of the, the tendencies that I've noticed when people criticize these these debate bros... Of course, I'm lumped into these criticisms, which, you know... I, I don't think I fit this particular tendency, which I'm about to describe. And it's that they debate for the fun of it. Would that, like the process of debating a position is a purely intellectual exercise for them. Um, which for me, it's absolutely not. I do f have fun debating, that's true, and obviously it is an intellectual exercise, but it's not for the sake of flexing my brain, it's because there are consequences to, to all of this. Um, and, um, and that's one of the reasons why, I mean, some people say I go too hard in the fascism stuff, or, you know, stuff like that. There are a lot of like grinning, smiling, friendly people online. You know, they'll 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 you know, smile at you and be friendly and act in generally good faith. They would, and this is pretty much a sociological fact. They would lead you to the gas chambers with just a few small changes in how our society currently operates. Not fantastical ones either. Just fairly simple changes. About a decade or so of time to lead up. We saw this happen before in Germany and in many other countries. Here in America, too. There are dire, dire consequences for um, abstemiousness when describing our opposition. So maybe sometimes I go off too hard in response to that, but I think a better world would be one in which everybody goes off too hard against them. We're less concerned about being civil in our denunciations of fascism and far more concerned about making sure they have no place in this country to express their opinions. Not to violate the First Amendment or anything, just we would be very mean to them. Mm. And kind of building off of that, and this is like a, a streamer-specific question, so I, if your answer to me is going to be one that's like best worded in private, feel free to DM it to me, because I know that sure. the audience kind of takes things in a different way. How do you balance like your brand, entertainment, having intellectual fun and audience appeal with like your ideological consistency, the IRL impacts of your speech, like moment to moment, clarity of your message, and like the strength of your principles. Um, I, I that way I would always answer that in public. I think that any socialist content creator who has to pretend that there's some kind of like perfect advocate for all their positions is a cringe lord. Like anyone who can't be honest about it. What I do, like on here on stream, it is a business. I mean, in the purest sense, it's well, it's not actually an incorporated business, but it's a business. 
Um, and obviously there are considerations that I have to make to that. I do prioritize the production of content. Obviously I'm concerned with my YouTube monetization, etc., etc. But I consider it to be morally important that I do what I do, just because I think it's morally important that loud socialists, or at the very least loud progressives, exist online. And in that sense, I don't necessarily think there's a contradiction there. I don't think that... I, I, I feel like a full accounting of what I do, if given to my audience, most people would agree, like, ah, this is a good thing and people should keep it up. And I'm happy and very, very honored um, to, to be fortunate enough to be able to um, affect people in that way, you know? Yeah. And um, this was something that you touched upon in um, the discussion you had with Destiny, where you guys got into supererogatory and discussing how other creators <laughs> are kind of, of dealing with this. Um, and at the time I said, I enjoyed the very practical, I think that's how I described it, approach that Vosh has to these left early ideas and their implementation in your real life. That he's willing to understand that like everybody has to live in the system everybody's going to make decisions like so i'm going to structure how my beliefs are coming about how they are exacted upon in a way that is like pragmatic and it's practical and it's looking at like what is my day-to-day -day? how am i going to behave for years and years on end and like where do i see society going and i'm going to like temper my expectations of both myself and other people based on that. And I thought that that was like, this is the fairest way I think you could explain it. And I think that anybody that, uh, you know, strives for this perfection or preaches that is missing the point when they themselves are not walking that walk. And I think that's a problem with a lot of left or leave people. It sounds like maybe you would agree with that. No, I would agree with that completely. I mean, fundamentally, it's a question of whether you value not being hypocritical or making the world a better place more. I don't think you could find a human on Earth who doesn't act hypocritically, either in regards to their personal values or their political beliefs. I think that humans are incredibly um, intellectually biased towards behaviors that favor them and that they will rewrite reality in their head to justify the things that they want to do. And thus, I think that being a proper socialist, being a proper anything, is just about incentive structures. I want it to be as easy as possible for people to make the world better. This is why I fucking hate vegans. I despise vegans. I love veganism, <laughs> but I hate vegans. Because so often the behavior of vegans puts people off from being vegan. Vegans, in the at least in the English-speaking internet, are like universally laughed at. Not because... And why do you hear this, by the way, them being laughed at? Sometimes it's, oh, they're a hippie, oh, animals aren't real people, what are they doing? Most of the time, I hear them being laughed at because they're moral high horses because they are insufferable because they are so so obsessed with informing everyone ah you are not adhering to a morally consistent standard of behavior and i am <laughs> that they put people off the entire community the most effective vegans are people who say hey guys look we're all trying our best i know it's tough but how about a try a vegan day once a week you can choose tuesday and here are some great meals you can try and once you get people on that, you know, they realize, hey, it's not so hard. Hey, it's actually pretty cool. Hey, some of these foods are even tastier than the non-vegan variants were. And then they go vegan. Very rarely are people convinced by this hyper-analytical, this, this ask-yourself-tier, super-debate-bro-esque approach towards getting people to admit that they've been committing an animal holocaust every day of their life. So on and so on. It's about practicality. It's about making the world a better place. And I think the same of being a socialist. I mean, it's just, uh, are many socialists hypocritical? Are there socialists on YouTube who make an ass load of money who could donate more of it? Does Hassan make more money every single day than your average Bangladesh farm worker makes in their entire life? Probably. 
But would chasing Hassan off the left improve the world? Would saying, oh, you can't be a real leftist because this or that or this, would this improve the state of affairs for this Bangladeshi farmer? Probably not. So we shouldn't. We should push people in directions that maximize good outcomes. Okay. And to, to play the devil's advocate just for like a moment there, mm -hmm. um, because this is a problem that I'm seeing with uh, Destiny and other people, is uh, this idea that perhaps there is some value in policing your own community of people that share your beliefs, though, so that they aren't bad I representatives love... of those beliefs, right? Yeah, I love policing my community. I go harder against the left than any other person on the left, with a decent size, of course. Um, and um, and yeah, it's really just about which types of criticisms do you think maximize good behavior? I reject the idea that Destiny's criticisms are born of some sort of good faith attempt to improve the state of the left. No. When he's no. watching the Philosophy Tube videos and he's like, this is hypocritical. This is No, this is not an attempt to improve the left. This, this is a I am better than them type thing. I think that the criticisms are best framed when they're legitimately an attempt to try to center better behavior and encourage people to engage in it. One way that you can do that is by hosting a gigantic charity drive, because that is an expenditure of my time and my money that I committed towards what I would like to believe is a good cause. Doing it encourages other people to do other really good things. H Bomber Guy doing his um, uh, Donkey Kong 64 100% stream, that's the only reason I ended up doing my thing. It was, it was a reminder that things like this could be done. And in the interest of bipartisanship here, Destiny, going out and canvassing, is the reason why I'm in talks with people to prepare my canvassing in early 2022. You show a good example, and it encourages better behavior. That's what I think is good. That's the policing I like to see. Yeah, and that's consistent with what you said during that super erogatory conversation, where um, the one thing that you put words to that I think that you got flack for, and I'm just, I'm still upset that that was the case, is that, you know, it could be that these people don't even picture themselves doing that. It's not even a thought in their mind that they could do it. And I think his argument was more or less like, yeah, but I, what, what kind of argument is that? Of course they could know. They could know if they wanted to know. And it's like, well, that's not really dealing with the reality of things. If there aren't examples, if there aren't role models that are like right in front of them with like a path laid out clearly that they can see themselves embarking upon, it's, it's not reasonable to expect that they paint that whole picture in their mind and then act upon it, you know? There's something to be said about other people doing that and forging that path and showing that it could be done and leaving behind breadcrumbs so that the next person could do it more or less the same way and i think without that yeah it's i mean i didn't even in my day today you know what do i think to improve my content who should i debate what video should i cover what about this what about that you know this is a way that you can produce good content but every once in a while people come out with ideas that i think change the game a little bit i really didn't think like h bomber guys you're familiar i assume with that stream right yeah it's um it was uh, spectacularly large, considering the size of his YouTube channel. Not just now, but at the time especially. Um, and I don't think anybody expected it to pop off like that. The original donation goal was less than $10,000, if I remember. So, really it just takes, like, you know, um, I guess a little bit of an expansion of what people think is possible. And a positive attitude to help. It's one of the reasons why I have gone... I have made an effort lately to be a lot less mean to the infuriatingly counterproductive Democrat uh, demographic of uh, Tumblr refugees on Twitter 
who live to cancel uh, left-leaning figures who say or do anything even remotely problematic. I try not to focus on it as much, not because I don't hate them, I do, but, but mostly because I don't think I was actually, uh, I don't think I was affecting any positive change. Maybe my own community, there was some slight aversion to that behavior, but I don't think I was moving those communities over. The best thing that mm -hmm. I can do is the honeypot, you know what I mean? I have to be appealing to them so they come over here, and then eventually, you know, they start saying slurs just like me. You move them over with the with the positive example. That was a joke, Twitch. That's my my my, my atonal uh, delivery there. It was, <laughs> it was a joke. It's not true. I don't say slurs. Anyway. Um, building on this, and again, this is more so like I'm looking for advice that might be able to help me here. Um, how then do you untangle? Uh, oh, I should ask you if you're familiar with it first. Um, did you catch Mike's criticism of your uh, charity stream at all? Mike from PA? Yes. It was spectacular. I loved it. We we can all, um, you're not a, are you a, are you a PAer here? Are you a, um, a, a Miker, you know? He's honestly the only streamer on Twitch that I could bear. Wait, really? I'm okay, <laughs> no, I, no. I don't know. Um, he, I, I love him. He is such an incredible um, litmus test for the validity of a position. If I say or believe something and then I see Mike defending it, I, I get like a little get a little shake down my spine, you know? I saw I saw his criticisms in my stream. They were immediately followed up with an appraisal of Chapo Trap House's charity stream, which uh, was also a large stream of people doing exactly what I did. So Here's my question to you is how do you untangle criticisms like that or do you at all like what is the approach to that when you're trying to do something good but it's almost like like cuz from my perspective you cannot disprove that like there is a benefit clout wise or audience wise for this thing like that's that you can't and it's it's impossible to say that your intentions weren't that and then it feels like i immediately in my brain get stuck in this web of like i don't know how i would have handled this if it was levied at me i'm curious like how do you work that out i don't i mean i guess the the flat argument would have to be like does it matter i guess from my perspective even if if a person raised a bunch of money well intent can matter because it can be used to determine future behavior the action itself may not be affected by intent, but it, it can be a sign of things to come. And I guess the only sign it would be for me would be that I would do more charity streams, which I want to, so I guess that's true. When it comes to criticisms like that, like, I get this a lot. Like, you're a grifter, you only do X or Y because, uh, um, you know, because it's easy or convenient for you, or you're just trying to make money, or... This is a criticism I'm trying to make less of other people because it's, like you said, it's completely non-falsifiable. It just comes off a little bit bitter and mean-spirited, I think, for the most part. Unless there's, like, really strong evidence that a person is grifting. Like, literally, a person had a particular set of positions, and then they started getting paid by a different employer, and they start saying the opposite stuff. Really straightforward stuff like that. It's almost impossible to prove otherwise. So with me, I... I, I you're a chimmy door. Yeah, like, depending on how, like, heinous this person is, you know? With me, I guess it doesn't bother me too much, because I don't think Mike from P actually believed a fucking word that he was saying. I genu- I don't- <laughs> I don't think he believed a single fucking thing that he was saying. I don't- he, he was scrambling for a criticism there. It, it just seemed like he was upset that I exist. That's so much of it, isn't it? Just 
being upset that a person exists. And then you, like, come up with the criticisms afterwards. I do it, too. I mean, we all do this to an extent. A negative opinion of a person biases our future perceptions of them. If I see a person online, and I see a tweet of theirs, and it's totally innocuous, but I know this person is a piece of shit, it's so hard not to look at that and think, like, ah, of course they'd say that. Because they're a piece <laughs> of shit. I, I guess it's probably not something I should take too seriously. Okay. And and I totally agree. And that's that's why at the beginning I said that we may have a difference in, in approach. And that is in no small part because of where we have to make arguments and where we are like engaging with people. But I, I think that people start with the emotion. They start with a notion of how they think that something is or how they believe it ought to be. And then they reason it out and they draw a picture the more that they think about that thing. But ultimately it all started as a feeling or some like vague notion of how things ought to be and i think that that may be the case with mike as well he was upset you know whether it was because of the success of the stream or the fact that it was you or whatever else um and then he's trying to you know the other half of his brain is telling him a narrative about why that is the case and why he is what he thinks that you are and the other neuron yeah um yeah they're neuron <laughs> i i don't actually think that mike is a dumb guy i just think that he's super this is a criticism I make a lot, I guess. I think he's super, super clouded by spite. Um, it seems like, I guess I say this a lot, but I feel like a lot of people are like that online. Like, everywhere. Not, I really do mean everywhere. It just seems like so many people arrive at positions after the feelings that they have from a person or from a thing. And, um, oh god, the temptation to take the DA is so strong, but I won't. My stats are fine. Um... <laughs> I don't know. It's probably something we could all stand to work on a little bit. I feel like right now, I was just, can I ramble for a second? Not that I've already. Yeah, of course. I, I really, I'm really scared about the future. It seems like there are a lot of paths this country can take. The majority of this country is progressive, but fascists don't need a majority. They haven't before. They're more active than we are. We being the non-fascists, I guess. So they count for more proportionally. And I, I've always thought, what's the most that I can do to push back against this? With my vanishingly limited clout in comparison to the country. I mean, you know, I'm a big YouTuber, but compared to, compared to everything else, pretty small. With all that, like, what can really be done? And I was looking around, and I happened upon this YouTube channel today. And, God, chat, maybe you can give me the name. He's a YouTuber. He's, like, late 20s. He's got a pencil-thin mustache, kind of e-boy looking. Um, he makes videos on TikTokers. He's got three million subs. Uh, positive, progressive. Oh, not Eddie Burback. Come on, three million subs. I know one of you has gotten off this. Curtis Connor. Curtis Connor. You heard of Curtis Connor? Uh, me personally? No. I saw this person's videos for the first, the very, very first. They probably got an audience all 14-year-olds, but I saw this person's videos for the first time today. Huge, huge channel. Every video's got millions of views. And it was some good, good shit. It was like making fun of like alpha male red pillars on TikTok. It was, um, it was like making fun of people for being misogynistic or racist. That one dumb fuck on, on TikTok, that one guy who like, he'd see videos of people being gay or trans and he'd duet them and he'd like frown at them or give them the thumbs down. He had hundreds of thousands of followers who would send death threats and harass people. He covered that guy too. And I'm thinking, this guy 
This guy who talks like a... Who talks like a goddamn YouTuber is probably doing more to fight fascism than I ever could. Like, I could, does this kid even know what fascism means? If I asked him for a definition, if I tried to ground his axioms, would he even, would he look at me and slap me in the face? Maybe. And it was so strange, so surreal, you know? Um, because the, the, the route that I thought was the, the best one to achieve the goals that I have maybe isn't. Maybe the best one is just to infiltrate other well-known types of content creation and just be progressive while doing that. And it really humbled me. So what I'm trying to get at, like, very, very long-wise here, you know, is that for me, the rhetoric is always going to be a means to an end. Obviously, I can't just turn into some three million sub-pencil mustache boy or whatever, but it's always <laughs> a means to an end. The end is to affect positive social goals. And seeing stuff like that reminds me there are many, 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 many ways to do what I want to do. So it's the idea of rhetorical changes in the future are always going to be something that I'm. Uh, mm. Sorry, that was and to touch super long-winded, but I, but I, yeah, it's just what I was thinking. No, you're totally fine, and it's your show, dude. You know <laughs> that's what people come here for. Um, it, to, to touch back on Mike for two seconds, just that I like combine the super negative thing with something nice. Like, um, this is like from privileged information behind the scenes, but my understanding is that Mike is a huge help if you want organizing information or if you want help with advice about like IRL politics. So I understand that he's one way on the stream, but it, it would appear to me talking to other people that he's useful for a lot of other stuff and he's like a treasure trove of information. It's just like, it's communicated really poorly on his channel and in a way that I don't think is like palatable to most people. No, I've heard that. I've heard that too. And also he does the thing that I don't do. I don't watch the news. I don't, some people that keep up day to day, this Senator said that Senator said this, I can't, I fall asleep. I can't do it. All the news, but the info, the political analysis that I give to people, I mean, it's usually filtered through this like internet culture veneer. The people who actually have the ability to watch the news, to find senators and congress people doing this, saying that, pick it apart, this is important, that's important. That's important stuff, you know? It's um, it's not something I have an affinity for, but these are talents that Mike has. I just wish he wasn't such an absolute asshole. <laughs> if it would, it would really improve the delivery a little bit. Like... One thing that I find very difficult, though, and I guess it's like sort of sympathizing with Mike a little bit, is we have to be like inflammatory. We have to be entertaining, particularly on Twitch to like get views or get clicks or get clipped or all these other things like like my few clips that have been shown to you have given you some sort of impression of me. My, the few clips of you that I have seen, like saying I have brain rot or this or that influenced me like, but these are in reality, just like small snippets, you know, and they're snippets that come uh, as a part of like a larger performance, you know? And I think that we as creators are probably in the best position to know to take that stuff with a grain of salt. And I'm sure that most of us try to, but it's that's not always how it works out and like things can leave lasting impressions even when they're clips like do you have any advice on that or is this bringing to mind any lessons that you've learned doing this for a while i'm the worst person to ask about how to avoid getting taken out of context i legitimately think that my hate my hate uh watch to like actual fan watch ratio is higher than anybody else in left tube 
Um, I, I genuinely don't know if there's anyone who else who even comes close. I passed Contra on that a long time ago. I try to... <laughs> Man. <laughs> I... Uh, let me think for a second. Are you asking me how to avoid getting taken out of context or how to avoid taking other people out of context? I'm basically presenting like a broad problem and I'm curious like how you how you approach it in your head. And it sounds like you're focused on the out of context stuff. Um, my focus has been to create a brand that counters that. So like, I think that my brand is more or less and I try to make it clear all the time by repeating it. Like I'm on here to help people because I wanna see better conversations. So if I'm making fun of somebody or doing a voice or like highlighting something that I think is ridiculous about the way that they're approaching an argument, ultimately that's coming from a place of like i hate seeing this this person doesn't need to do this like this could have been a really good conversation had this not happened you know i want i want the conversational potential of these different panels or individual talks to be realized like i want two people who are highly educated on something to be able to use that education in their conversation and to not be bogged down by little things like rhetorical failures or jokes that don't land or tonal problems or wh whatever the case is it's different for everybody um but i i think that's been my approach to it but i don't know how other people think about it of course the the problem is is that that might be antithetical to the goals of other people um, because the, the jokes that may or may not land or the rhetorical strategies um, can often be used to effectively deliver a positive outcome in an argument, you know? Sometimes, like, like, for, like one of the easiest things that you can do in a debate to help you out, and we destiny gets this a lot, is to talk faster. The faster a person talks, the harder it is for the other person to catch their breath and, you know, formulate their argument. Uh, and that's good for us. When I'm debating a conservative, my thought is never, I want this person to give the best version of their argument possible, you know? Uh, and, and to have the, and to, so we can like elaborate on the idea in the best possible way. When I want them to deliver a good argument, it's usually to the extent that I can like steel man their position to make sure that I'm critiquing the correct thing. Um, but it's not for the sake of their argument being good, it's just for the sake of appropriately setting up mine. Which is, again, always the ends justify the means stuff, right? If the goal at the end of a conversation is to make conservatism look bad, that's always going to be the tactic. So long as you're not, like, falling back into dishonesty. And I don't think that works in the long run anyway, because people will find it out. The kind of stuff that you do, I don't, like... I've never gotten from the impression from the content that you produce that, um... that you're, you're particularly spurious with the remarks that you make. Um, even if... At some points, I, I have taken issue with the way in which you phrase things. I've watched some of your fuller streams. Christ, that um, that whole one with um, the guy, the older lefty guy. I should know his name. Come on, Wolf. Yeah, Wolf. The whole thing with Wolf. I mean, that was a big shit show, you know. But I was interested in your opinion on that. I saw a few things that I didn't see before having watched your content. So I don't, I don't, for, for you, I mean, if you're ever going to suffer sort of the recession into stupid, low attention span political discourse, I think it's only just a product of the medium. I don't know if there's anything you can do to advance beyond that. Hmm. Um, okay. More than you already have, at least. And, and if, by the way, if you do, then let me know. Because, uh, that is, um, that sounds near impossible to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, people told me a similar thing about, um, advice for dealing with comments where like, 
it's either you have people that give sort of like what Steven says, which is like, oh, no, this stuff doesn't bug me at all. And uh, I'm not helpful to other people because I guess I'm just different. Like, all right, well, built different isn't like a, a bit of advice that's going to help anybody. Um, or like you get used to it, you know, these sorts of like adages that just don't help in the moment. Um, and eventually I was able to figure out that like, well, no, there's like triaging and stuff that you could do. There's checklists that like, there's things you could write down that would actually help you do this and could be like copy pasted for any creator. Um, and I recently talked with aristocracy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. I quite like aristocracy. I think that she's, um, smart and thoughtful. Also gave me a pretty good interview a little while back. Yeah, me too. She's, she's really nice. I I've enjoyed engaging with her. Um, but she was having a really difficult time with comments and found it helpful, you know, some of the advice there. So maybe I'll just, I'll try to think up something for this too. And if I, if I come up with anything, I'll for sure let you know, but. Comments yeah. like people leaving mean comments? Yeah. Like how, how do I, how do I deal with these? Like particularly if you want constructive criticism and unfortunately, like that's just the tone that people have when they're criticizing you on the internet, they just say really mean shit, but you know that there's something in some of those that you could use to help you. Even if it takes like reframing it or understanding it in a different way, like people are pointing to something a lot of the time and that something is you know, a bit of uh, room for improvement that you're not going to find from the people that like your stuff and tell you positive things. And so figuring out how to squeeze that value out of those is difficult for people. Yeah, I completely sympathize with that. It's, ooh, thank you. I, um, I, I've, it's incredibly frustrating too because, um, because there have been plenty of times where I've like made mistakes and sometimes it's absolutely impossible to know when I have because I get so much ubiquitous, uh, ubiquitous criticism at all times for everything that I do, that I, I, it's, it's really, really difficult to know what to take to heart unless I'm listening to the input of people who, um, who I specifically trust, like, like my editor mm. or, um, or somebody who's close to me who watches my content. But if I just make an errant mistake or something, let's say it's a factual error, not even like a big, like a, like a huge, like the debate, was dumb type of comment, but more just like, oh, hey, in this point right here, you were incorrect about this or that. The problem is, like, I wish I could just get emails saying that, but if I get 20 emails after a debate and one of them, cr like, criticizes me on the correct thing and the other don't, do I have to follow up on Wiki all of them? Usually I just set them all aside and say, like, hey, thank you for your criticism. I'll keep it into consideration. If I go any further than that, then I'm committing myself to an enormous expenditure of time. Um, and and then we have to discern what's actually worth listening to. It's incredibly frustrating. I don't know if there's an easy way around that. Now, out of curiosity, and this is like a behind the scenes question, have you considered or do you currently have somebody helping you with things like email to kind of triage those for you? Nah, I can't give up that control. I can't. I can't uh. It's very important to me that I be able to respond to I know it's probably something that I should do. Um, I have, I've delegated, I feel like almost every other element of this. I live stream, I release the videos, I have my Twitter. <laughs> that's probably not a good thing. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's pretty much it. Um, apart from the emails. Those take up so much time though. It's crazy how much time emails take up, you know? People will send you the wildest shit. I mean, no disrespect. To the people in my fandom who send me cool shit over email, okay? But some of you motherfuckers send me like, 
like thousands of words, you know? Or, or you know what you're doing, so you preempt it. You're like, hey, you know, sorry, I know that you get a lot of emails, so this one's real short. But it's not. You're lying. It's not real short. It's very long. And I'm not a great fast reader or typist. Um, What were we talking about? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I was just asking if you had if you were paying anybody to kind of help you triage that, or if you had considered it. Uh, I might have to eventually, but not yet. Because I find that like, it's and I'm super small, especially compared to you or or, or any of these other larger content creators, and I'm already considering like bringing somebody to help like across all the different platforms, across Reddit, whatever, to like seek these things out, put them into a notion document that where like we separate out like the worst parts of it um, or read something that's like 10,000 words long and give me the TLDR on it. Um, just because it, it does, it takes a lot of time when you multiply it by each email and it gets to the point where it's like, the question is not like, do you want to do this job? It's like, do you want to fail at this job and continue to do it on your own? Or do you want this to be reasonably managed and like have somebody help? Because not everybody gets responses in a timely manner or like these sorts of problems are arising. And I can only imagine like what your position is like and what that looks like for you on the back end. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's definitely something that's still a work in progress. Um, in in terms of the the workflow. Also, I wanna I wanna pay everyone who works for me like as well as I can. I'm I'm actually not satisfied with the amount that I'm paying people at the moment because we we recently expanded the back end of the channel. Um, there are a lot of algorithm secrets that uh, we have been made privy to that we intend on aggressively exploiting. And um, in, unfortunately, getting like the best of them means temporarily cutting back on some pay, which seems like it's already happened, but it looks like things are already picking up. And maybe after the income picks up, after I boost everyone else's wages, I could look into getting like a secretary or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting that you say that because somebody recently reached out to me um, with a lot of knowledge on the back end and how things work. And we've kind of restructured what the content plan is going to be moving forward and it's like a huge departure from how things are now and so that's that's like part of why i'm asking you this is like having looked at all that in a very naked way at like how much time everything costs versus like what's the benefit and what is the strategy moving forward like that's that's where these questions are coming from so if you end up coming up with solutions i would be super interested if you're willing to share them oh uh uh yeah for sure i mean i think that this is information that i which was more publicly available to everyone except far-right types. Uh, which which is funny, because I think they already know. It seems like a lot of the far-right channels I see are way, 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 way better at using their channels. I don't know why that... Well, actually, I do know why that is. Most of the far-right channels on YouTube have some kind of big money backing. Um, some, mm. Like, there's some sort of direct connection there. Um, some of it's really, really obvious, like Ben Shapiro or Steven Crowder or whatever. But a lot of it, it feels like there's this back-end circle of, what the fuck is this? Oh, it's because I can see into them. <gasps> and we get Humble Bundle. Yes. All right. We got to run, boys. We got to run going. Sorry. Um. <laughs> anyway, but a lot of lefties don't seem to know this anywhere near as well. So it's something I want to get a little bit better at. Um, Like, about the monetization schemes and... Actually, I mean, honestly, actually, if you just want, I don't know how much info you have, but I'd be happy to talk about it with you um, off stream because it's fairly extensive, but it seems like I've done well. This stuff can explode algorithms, you know? Yeah, 
like little things like like how useful the community tab is or the way that um, your videos are served to like varying sizes of audience and how do you get served to a larger sized audience and how can you do things in the video or in the back end to kind of help push that as best as possible or ride a wave off of like a very good stream or a very good video that came out and make sure you don't squander that opportunity like things like this uh have been stuff that I'm learning about. I don't know if that's ringing any bells. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and there are like um, SEO trackers to see which types of content people are looking for at the moment. There's a lot of really weird stuff in the back end that YouTube just never tells you, you know? So. Nope. Or like how to increase your CPM by checking which ads are available and being sold. Cause that's a huge component of like the monetary success. Yeah. It's like, <sighs> Oh, fun of them <laughs> to keep it from us. Uh, anyway, yeah. anyway, I, I, I feel like we're, we're wandering off a little bit here. I True. was happy to have the opportunity to have a positive conversation with you because I actually do enjoy your content. And I'd, I'd like to believe that I can get along with people um, when I enjoy their content. It's generally a good feeling to feel that way. Um, at some point soon, since we're, honest to God, coming up on two hours here, I should probably actually explain to my audience what the fuck is going on in this video game that I'm playing. Um, did you have anything else on your mind? Um... I think just one more thing. Um, have you seen RGR's tweet that kind of explains the difference in your approach to Steven's approach? Yeah, so I still need to respond to her on that. Uh, yes, I've seen that tweet. And um, do you have any like abbreviated opinions on that? I respectfully disagree. My principal criticism of Destiny is that he is not interested in finding the truth when it comes to interacting with lefties. I think he's incredibly hateful towards them and it makes him say incredibly stupid stuff. So. The, the dichotomy that was laid out by RGR honestly felt to me like a very nice version of, like, men and women aren't better or worse than each other. Men are logical and women are emotional, you know? That's that's kind of how it felt <laughs> a little bit to me. Like, oh yeah, Vosh is like the emotional one, which I reject that criticism. I think that I do uh, an admirable job of trying to assess the truth of the situation, and I think that Destiny does so when he's not dealing with lefties, you know? That's pretty much the main criticism that I have. I would have to reread the post to fully remember like the broader premises, but that's my feeling. In, in short, yeah. I have been sexist against. I have been the victim of sexism. That's my take. Okay, okay. Because like, um, I wonder if like her thing about intentionality and you caring about that is at all coming from the super erogatory talk that you had with Steven? Because it seemed like during that time, the reason why you didn't want to levy a lot of uh, criticisms against your fellow leftist content creators is because their hearts are in the right place and they're pushing an ideology that is ultimately going to be like beneficial to the world in a way that you can like really see and understand. And so you don't want to like, you know, I, I, I thought maybe that's partly playing into that, but yeah, if I you just, wholeheartedly disagree well, with it's not, it's not wholeheartedly. I understand why Riley feels those things. And I also understand, I guess the, um, the underlying drive to um, to express the dynamic in that in that binary or in that um, in that duality, like I, I get the underlying logic behind this. It's just my my central criticism kind of deviates from it in that way. Um, in terms of like the extent to which intentionality applies here, I just um, fr from a utilitarian perspective, intentionality shouldn't matter as much as it does the other. Like, for a virtue ethicist, intentionality is, like, key, almost. Because you're trying to assess a person's individual proclivity towards doing good, as opposed to, like, the consequences of the action a person engages in. 
intention can be good when assessing future behavior, but in terms of like a specific action or whatever, I just don't know if I really, if it necessarily means as much. When it comes to like criticizing other content creators, for me, it's just a practical matter of maximizing good behavior in other people. And um, often being super duper mean to them doesn't do that. And I reject the idea that that's what Destiny was trying to do. And it seems you agree with me that it's not what he was trying to do. So no point in, I guess, hammering on that too hard. Um, yeah, to be good faith to Riley, to though. Say. Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, please. Uh, my, my brain is failing me here. Please uh, supplement my thoughts. Sure. Um, like, I, I think that um, Riley, if I could just speak for her, I don't know, uh, like, give a guess, would say that, like, Destiny's hatred for the lefties is born out of a frustration with their constant inability to meet his requirements in terms of, like, uh, making arguments that make sense or making arguments that hold up in all contexts or really sticking to that logical basis. So if he constantly sees issues with them, that's why he's hating on them and that's why he's developed this bias. Although I would admit that the bias is super problematic and i bring it up to him every time i talk with him because it's like one of the most obvious things that he could change to improve but i'm worried at this point that might be part of his brand like he can't exit that anymore the only thing that i'd cite here is a reminder that and this is all on public record for a solid year and a half of my channel i consistently said destiny is justified in being super anti-left here because after that peter coffin conversation the conversation with uh with American Johnson, with all these other lefties you've argued with, who have been just as fucking stupid as the conservatives before them, I wouldn't be surprised that he would hate lefties either. So I, I, I submit to the evidence my complete amicability to that position, but event that can only take you so far. And eventually, like, you're you're, you're at the point where the, the arguments that you're making start to sound indistinguishable from conservative ones in some cases. Um, uh, one of the things he used to say, I'm trying not to bring this back to it, but like, this is just what is on my mind. Is that he's not like principally dedicated to capitalism it's just the solution that he thinks is best but recently he said that he thinks anyone advocating for socialism is indistinguishable for advocating for neo-nazis and seeing as how socialism is pretty much the alternative to capitalism i don't know how many economic frameworks there are available out there but it seems to me like if you're criticizing capitalism that's that's usually where that comes from unless you're talking fascism. So it seems that, no, he actually is at this point principally devoted to the defense of capitalism. There were a lot of other things it feels like he's walked back on too. Positions and convictions that he used to have that no longer seem to be applicable. So that, that'd that be my concern. Yes, there's a justification for his ill uh, feelings towards lefties, but you can only take that so far before, before you start doing the thing you hate them for, right? Like that shit with Lance and the the, the Hamas donations thing. Like, Jesus, you know? Yeah, I don't know if you caught my coverage of your, your video where you outlined those points, but I, I thought you did a really good job of laying out arguments and as somebody that uh, is used to writing papers a lot and doing outlines, like, it was clear to me that, like, hmm, okay, this is well thought out. You're not going to be able to poke holes in, like, 98% of this. Um, this is something that Steven needs to contend with. Like, these are very clear problems, and he doesn't really have answers to them. It's, it, I mean, for me, it's not like... The, the only thing that I want at this point is to distance my content from his. Obviously, my content spawned from him, and I don't care if there are people who watch me who want to watch him or whatever. They can do whatever they want. It's just, like, at this point, I don't get the impression any conversations with him can ever, like, result in positive outcomes at all. They're always going to end up, and this isn't entirely like on him, 
obviously I don't like him very much. So at this point, it's going to I'm going to feed into this, but any conversations at this point are just going to turn into this incredible, like protracted community-wide battle. There are people in my community who like him, so criticism that he makes that like it turns into this big fight between them and it lasts days and days and days. And oftentimes the conversations at their root are so misrepresented or so vacuous that it just feels like it's a waste. And I mean, I guess to substantiate that, I would point out like his Reddit, anytime anything with me happens. These people talk about me the way Kiwi farmers do. Christ, it's not just uncharitable. Some of this shit is like borderline deranged as he banned all the lefties from his Reddit. So like with, with all that, like what do I get out of the conversations, you know? They're not fun. My community can't grow from it because his community, 100% of his community knows who I am. There's almost complete saturation in that regard. So we don't have fun, we don't have community growth, and we're also not furthering any of my ideological goals because his community is, well, I think it's as ideologically committed to capitalism as his is at this point, and same with the biases. So there's just no benefit in it for me, just in a purely cost sense, you know? Yeah. That's that's really like, it. It's people keep cringely referring to it as like a divorce, but if I'm to describe this or treat this like a like a business, then this is an incredibly sensible maneuver. Uh, far more sensible than any like decision I've made to not talk about something in the past. I stopped talking about the tanky thing. Is this, you know, a messy divorce from the tanky topic? No, it's just what you have to do. Yeah. And uh, I play into that divorce thing, but that is very much so a business decision. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, no, no. Of course, of course. We're all we're all playing the game. Awesome. Well, uh, I think you mentioned that you needed to get back to your games, and it's been about two hours. Um, so does that mean uh, you want me heading off? No. If you if you have another meme, go for it. This run ended up doing better than I expected. I thought I would die around the time that last topic ended, but it hasn't happened. So. Ooh. Okay. Um. Kind of building off of what you were just talking about what are your goals like regarding your ideology and platform like what do you want to see different about Vosh in 2022 at the same time I mean it has to be mostly anti-fascist right I get so much shit from lefties on this but I would I would much rather have an audience of um of like effective liberals than I would have an audience of um, of ineffective lefties. You know, I, I'd rather move a bunch of people over to progressive liberalism than a small but dedicated community of people over to progressive socialism. Because we are, we're so, so close in some ways to a complete abolition of this country's like democratic principles, you know? And I'm not so big America simp either. I just mean like, like holy shit. This push to ban critical race theory from education, like from elementary school, like they're teaching critical race theory in elementary schools. That patriotic education shit that Trump was trying to push. These bills that are being pushed to make it legal to run over protesters with cars. It doesn't actually say that, of course. It's more like, you know, additional legal protections and expansion of the extent to which drivers can say fairly, I felt threatened. But the outcome of this is more protesters being run over with cars. And you know it's going to be BLM protesters or whatever. Or even Biden supporters. All of this stuff, I mean, this is so overt, so out there, and it's ramping up so quickly. And there's no sign from the Republican Party that they're going to stop. I'm terrified of the future of this country. 
I just think anti-fascist advocacy needs to be everyone's number one priority. Like, full stop. Uh, like, we all need to be united in that. I would work... I would work with, like, neocons on this. If the Liberty Project guys weren't just a bunch of, like, grifters who wanted to make money off of the, um... <laughs> off... Sorry, I called them grifters again. If they weren't just a bunch of worthless pieces of shit, I, I would have, like, happily, you know, pushed for that. Like, you know, oh, the Republican Party is eating its own? Please, God, anything, anything to weaken their front. But it's just not happening, you know? Wait, is there another chat besides your YouTube chat? I, I have a, I, I built my own original website uh, called uh, VGG. Have you heard of it? Oh, I'm a. F oh. <laughs> Wait, did you not <laughs> I know? I just said a banned word. Uh, no, I knew it existed. I didn't think to bring that up. I've been looking at the YouTube chat, and YouTube chat's like, please, for the love of God, don't read us. We're down. <laughs> no, we have um the the site chats. Well, it's, well, I don't know if you're, well, you haven't viewed the stream, but yeah, the site chat is what's on the screen and. They're as dumb, so not really any major change there. But you know, I love that. Ah, you know how it is. Um, on that question, I know you mentioned that you have some uh, other things that you're doing in terms of IRL activism and charities. Uh, anything cool or, or any like larger goals along those lines you want to accomplish in the next like one to five years, maybe? Yeah, one to five. Oh God. Okay. There's a lot of stuff that I want to do. One thing that I learned from, hey, here's another example of how other people being trailblazers can be super informative. One thing that I learned from, I'm not saying this to be mean, but Destiny's failure in Omaha is that direct engagement with a political candidate is going to lead in disaster because I am too just contentious online. If I have a direct relationship with, I, I feel like I'm at the size where if I was canvassing for a congressperson, it's not unreasonable that their association with me could be used to hurt them. Maybe not a senator, but a congressperson, maybe? Like, the post-millennials written articles about me. I know Paul Joseph Watson, Ben Shapiro, they've retweeted articles about me. I feel like it could happen, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, that was a big thing that I learned. So I need to work around that. I can't say who it is, because I'm trying to respect their privacy, but there's a... Um, a very effective advocate for leftist um, campaigning who I have an ongoing relationship with and I've been talking with them about strategy for stuff that I can do for the midterm elections coming up. I really want to hit on that. Um, Steve, um, the founder and leader of the PCRF, has invited me to, and this sounds terrifying, but has invited me to take a trip to Palestine uh, someday to see the outcome of the donations that I've procured on his behalf. Um, fairly sure I would get ICF um, uh, capped in the back of the head if I... Uh, sorry, not ICF. Um, IDF capped in the back of the head if I went there, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. There's stuff like that. I really, really want to fundraise more, and I want to work with like other big content creators. The big dream that I have is to do is to take advantage of the connections that Hassan has the ability to, uh, and to unite LeftTube with progressive, like, media critic YouTube sphere, sphere, or like, unite political leftist YouTube with, um, God, with like, TikTokers who occasionally talk about progressive politics, but not that much, to draw that bridge. Does that make any sense? Am I, does, does this- Yeah, make... you're- 
yeah. like taking these highly influential people, making them like politically useful and making sure they're on the same page going towards some kind of goal. Is that like a, a, a simplification that works? Yeah, because a lot of them are really, really progressive people, you know, like the YouTuber I was referring to earlier. This person was saliently calling out how, you know, there was a lot of toxic masculinity associated with this or with that. But these people don't do like big political advocacy. They're just progressives who happen to be, um, you know, uh, uh, YouTubers who talk about this or that. They need to be part of a pipeline. They need to be part, they need to do for us what the right has done with all these leafiest here tier edgy gamer channels, which have been very effective in pulling over literally millions of like edgy teenage gamers into what would later be like far right conservatism. We need our own pipeline on that. And it doesn't need to end with people being like Soviet Union standing tankies or anything, but it definitely needs to at least bring them to a point where they can be politically effective against fascism. And I, I hope I can facilitate that because I feel like if that succeeds, the internet is ours, like anti-fascists forever, because we outnumber fascists numerically, like by a huge degree. You know, it's not, it's not like this is some 50-50 thing. They're louder, but if we were successful in effectively organizing communities that would be anti-fascist, if they just knew how to use it, we could do so much. I think you see what I mean. I'm rambling at this point. Yeah. Yeah, that would be the goal. Um, I don't mean to start drama with this, so mm -hmm. if you have like a lot of not nice things to say, maybe it's better that we don't talk about this. But okay. um, given how anti-fascist you are, how much you want to like get other people on that same page and educate them about it, I'm curious why you and Vivian don't get along as much, because it seems like that's more or less her thing as well, no? Um, I think that a lot of what Vivian does and believes is admirable, though I have to admit the way in which she expresses those beliefs sometimes trends towards the optically ineffective for me. I think the real problem between me and Vivian is that Vivian actually used to be part of my community and we stopped speaking to each other <laughs> over some, uh, let's say, protracted disagreements over drama that was taking place in my community at the time. If it wasn't for that drama, I have a feeling that Vivian and I would probably get along just fine. Okay. I don't have anything like crazy against what what she has to say though okay because that's been gnawing at me the whole time every time i hear anti-fascist i'm just like i wonder why that is um okay well alrighty. You're, you're a um what would it be are you socialist progressive liberal where do you lean that's the thing and i i had a whole like breaking moment on stream about this i really don't care too much about politics outside of like local stuff that affects me so like if they're taking like benches out of the park that's something that i fought against or benches out of the front of the library or um like making stuff less like home homeless people accessible or closing off the library to people or getting rid of like the bonfire pits at the beach i care about stuff like that i've just i've had a really hard time like keeping momentum of hype about national stuff so i i don't feel too much about one thing or the other quite honestly okay that's fair enough but you are broadly progressive i mean you wouldn't the the local stuff that you would be so concerned with would probably not be there's a mosque opening in my town there there's a no. homeless club nearby you know but it could it could wind up being conservative in in its solution so for instance um in orange county which i'm sure you're familiar with because you you live near there um in the past uh, there is a problem with a homeless encampment that was in the the river valley and one uh, this like riverbed. And once that 
city with the riverbed and the encampment kicked those people out they kind of spread into every other city and all those other cities came up with different solutions to essentially kick those people out and if every other place was kicking them out and my city did not have a way of helping those people in any reasonable fashion like i would probably be in favor of kicking them out compared to like trying to house them and not doing a good enough job at it or not doing anything and simply like letting them uh be in the street and and you know like i i don't really care if something winds up being conservative or winds up being progressive i i try to like look at what is this actually impacting me and how is this actually impacting the people that are involved and what do i think is like the best option that we actually have on the table then it would probably defer to what you consider a desirable outcome to be which yeah. At least in this instance, it seems like the desirable outcomes that you would have would be pragmatic and generally aimed towards uh, promoting human life and dignity. Uh, yes, as which, much as possible. Right, which, you know what? It's what I can take. I was just curious, because you speak very little of yourself, from, or at least from what I've seen uh, of your content. It's funny that you would bring up the homeless thing as an example, because the city that I went to university in... Um, Oh, the county that I went to university in, Humboldt County, is actually where you send your homeless people to. Uh, Humboldt is basically a refuge for all the homeless people who have gotten their, um, what would you call it, their greyhound treatment uh, across the mm -hmm. rest of California. It all ends up there, and there's a ton of homeless people up there, and um, there's just a lot of very interesting sociological consequences of the that broader uh, political tendency. Um, probably better they're there than Los Angeles, though. Los Angeles is very uh, antithetical to human life. Yeah. And when there's, like, a huge majority of people in that city that utterly hate your existence and you are nothing more than, like, a political problem that they are biding their time to, like, vote out of existence, it's like, I can't imagine that that's, like, a preferable situation for that, that person. And then, but you know, those are not the level that conversations online I feel like are had at. So generally I try to avoid it because I'd have to like know a lot more to comment on a situation, you know? Yeah, the more local things are often, the more you have to know because the kinds of people who will disagree with you are people who are directly invested in what's going on. They're more likely to know more about the situation and things also get a lot more granular at a local level, which can be difficult. One of the reasons why I and Mike from PA don't talk about local politics, I imagine. Just a little bit more difficult. A little bit of a higher bar there. Uh, the, the only thing I'd say... Oh. The only thing that I would say, I think... Um, or, like, a last thing that I want to say is... Um, if you're at all interested in, like... Uh, what should be pushed for at a local level... There's a very nice YouTube channel called Echo Gecko. Um, it's explicitly socialist, at least in its... Um, in its in the political leanings, but like 98% of every video is this really interesting and methodical factual breakdown of the ways in which modern urban design can hurt or help people. And I've learned so much about my cities, the cities I've lived in, just watching these videos. Okay, that's an amazing recommendation. Because um, I have like... I shit you not, maybe like 10 or 15 questions under the header of leftism that I had for you that I just know there's absolutely no time to get into. So this gives me a little bit of homework. <laughs> well, I'd like talking to you. So hit me with one and, that, and then I will finally draw the line on explaining to my audience what's going on with Binding of Isaac. 
<laughs> okay. Um, let me pick a good one then. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's do this one. What are the most core tenets of leftism in your opinion? And what are the best pop, like, uh, popular sources and serious sources that you would pick to learn about those? When I, when I think of leftism broadly or being on the left, I think of the promotion of human equality. The idea that people shouldn't be better or worse than other people, that we should get along and that we should be treated equally, or at the very least in proportion to our merit. And when it comes to the sources that I like for stuff like that, honest to God, I really feel that both for the sake of entryism and for the sake of familiarizing yourself with the content, I really like people like Sam Cedar. There's something about those fiery, like, Iraq War, uh, like, uh, uh, lefties or social democrats and the way they the way they talk about these problems it makes me um it makes me really gain an appreciation for how much time and effort has been put into the project of making life more livable for so many people you know and that's mm -hmm. any kind of leftism not just like socialism communism whatever okay and if there was like a a more like formal or like more difficult to recommend like a book or something like that type of source to learn more about human equality what would you point to Oh God, more formal. Um, more formal. I think I would. I think I would probably have to defer to. There are two that I come to mind, and I'm blanking on both of them. What's guys? What's the Piketty one? Come on, chat. It's it's the book from Piketty that everyone recommends. Please don't embarrass me by not knowing the answer the way that I'm currently embarrassing myself. They're going to take a second. Oh, Capital in the 20th Century. Yeah. Or 20, 21st century. century, 21st century. I think the Capital in the 21st Century is a really, 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 really good book. Um, that's That does a really great job of explaining in fairly approachable terms how the economy we live in isn't just some incidental, like the inequality that we live with. It's not just some incidental product of forces we can't understand. It's a pretty direct result of some pretty direct policy making. I like that a lot. Um, and, oh God two on my mind that one's more on the econ side um chat what's that sociology book i recommend all the oh god people's history <laughs> of the united states was good for me back when i was in early uni but that book has been challenged by a lot of really reputable academic sources for being simplistic with its prescriptions so i don't know if i can recommend that in good faith yeah rules it tells a fun narrative like hardcore history exactly rules for radicals Thank you. Yes. Ah. Rules for Radicals. Rules for Radicals is really good. Yeah. I feel like those two books effectively cover the um, the sociological and the economic side of what I'd consider to be like a really strong introduction to lefty theory. Neither of them are holistic, though. They're generalist books. So if you take them to like a, to a specialist, you know, they're going to say like, oh, well, this could have been expanded upon more and more. But then you're turning two books into 20, you know? Right. Okay, awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Um, should I give a little bit of an outro and then skedaddle? <laughs> yeah, please. Shout out your content and with my recommendation. Awesome. Well, I think that's the most valuable part of anything I could say is the fact that it gets a recommendation from you. Um, but uh, as I said before, I, I basically try to do this. I try to figure out like what are the elements of a conversation that are causing it to kind of go off the rails or what is stopping us from realizing the potential of what could have been a great conversation and then going line by line through it with notes with having watched it multiple times to try and give that feedback and to give it from a position of like 
wanting it to be better, not wanting a blood match, not wanting, you know, people to look stupid or things like this. Um, even if they help in terms of jokes or entertainment value or any of this, like they, they just, they really hurt. We could be funny. We could be entertaining and we could still have good conversations with each other that like utilizes the best aspects of both interlocutors. And that's what I try to work towards. As of late, I've also been doing more of like just chatting stuff where I'm just kind of rambling with the chat and they seem to enjoy that, giving advice or talking about my outlook on things, which people seem to appreciate, or just like um, getting more IRL circumstances that aren't like the debates that we see on Twitch that are more like, hey, if your parent says this or this guy at your work is saying this how do you handle that or you know if you're a manager and you have an employee and you need to communicate something to them like that's a very particular position to be in and you need to handle that in a very particular way so um giving advice on those types of situations is more of what i'm focused on lately um but yeah that's what i do i stream on thursdays fridays and saturdays and if anybody wants to check that out it's book smarts on twitch or youtube uh two quick things before you leave um First, I just want to say I apologize for any uh, defensiveness at the beginning of this conversation. And second of all, I want to say that while far be it for me to suggest um, the subjects that you cover, uh, in case you're ever bored, I recently had a conversation with a Randian objectivist by the name of Yaren Brook. It was, a, at least by my standard, a fairly good conversation, by which I mean... I feel like I made him look like an idiot. That's that would be my <laughs> metric for one. He he's a Randian objectivist. I mean, this guy isn't coming to the table with good ideas. But anyway, um, that's one that I'm relatively proud of, which means that criticisms will shine all the better. In case you're ever interested in doing such a thing. Yeah, of course. Um, is that already up on your YouTube? It is. Yeah, it was about a week ago, I think. Okay. Awesome. I'll check that out then. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, not a problem. Have a good rest of your stream, and best of luck on this run of uh, Binding of Isaac. This run's in the bag. Take care. <laughs> you too.